Midday Treat with NAZ Elite, a monthly podcast in which I chat with Hoka NAZ Elite team members, and you'll get a behind-the-scenes scoop on their training, racing, and everyday lives. I'm your host, Eric Sensman. You can find our monthly podcast on SoundCloud uh, by searching Hoka NAZ Elite, and you can learn more about the faces behind the team uh, by visiting their website, nazelite.com, their Facebook page, Northern Arizona Elite, or their Instagram and Twitter, both at naz underscore elite. Hey, welcome everybody. This is the Hoka NAZ Elite uh, Midday Treat Podcast, and I am your guest host today, uh, Ben Rosario, and we are talking to Nick Hilton, one of the newest members of Hoka NAZ Elite. Uh, Nick joined us in January along with our new class, uh, Nick, Kia Dendina, Matt Baxter, and Sid Vaughn. We are doing podcasts this week with all of our new athletes that are in town. Uh, and then Matt, who is in New Zealand, will be joining us for a podcast when he gets here in February. So let's get to know Nick Hilton. Uh, and by the way, if you're if you're missing Eric Sensiman, our normal host, he was um, <clears throat> he was otherwise occupied this morning with a little uh, emergency. Everything's okay, uh, but I'm I'm stepping in, and and uh, I usually write these questions anyway, so <laughs> it's fine. Uh, all right, Nick. So you are known sort of as a blue collar guy. And you told me you don't mind the label. Why do you think people think you're a blue-collar guy, and why don't you mind the label? Well, I think people think I'm a blue-collar guy because, you know, I'm out there. I work 40 hours a week. I don't come from, uh, you know, a heralded background. I didn't run Division One. I. I didn't break 16 minutes in the 5K as a, as a high school athlete. wasn't highly recruited or anything like that. So um, I think that's just kind of always been what I've done. You know, I'm a high mileage, get up early in the morning, get to work, and get my stuff done so i don't i don't mind it because i don't know if it adds an extra edge or it makes the chip on your shoulder even bigger but it's just something that i've always carried with me and it's it's kind of cool i like it yeah very nice well let's go back to that division two thing so um you ran high school cross country in pennsylvania yep pretty deep state pretty tough state yeah and uh and you chose to go to lock haven university so tell us a little bit about the high school career and then the choice to go to lock haven so, so high school wise, you know, I was, like I said, I ran 16.05. I never finished higher than 26 at our state cross country meet. My best event was actually the mile. I was eighth in the mile as a senior and 4.13. That was kind of my best, my far away best performance as a high school athlete. And coming out of school, you know, I was not necessarily hotly recruited by any like local D1 teams or anything like that. I really had it narrowed down to three schools when I chose. It was either Lock Haven, um, I own a college or the University of Connecticut were my top three. And um, after I visited Lock Haven and met the team and talked with the coach, it was it was such a, a tight-knit group and such a family atmosphere. And the whole, the whole culture was about team culture and about doing things for each other. And that really resonated with me, um, having come from a similar type of culture in high school. So I think that's, that is kind of what sealed the deal with Lock Haven. And they're competitive. They're consistently top 10, top 15, Division two. They've had some very, very strong athletes in the past. So I think that all of those things kind of... Uh, played a part in that decision to, to end up at Lock Haven. And you and I have talked about your coach at Lock Haven and the program there and what kind of training you guys did. Sh share that a little bit. So so when I was in school, um, we were definitely a high mileage program. We, we carried that blue collar mantle all throughout college. You know, a lot of guys, and I think you find this in Division II a lot, and even on big D1 schools to some degree, you have all these 10 flat two milers who run a lot of mileage and 
you know, um, we carried that mantle proudly and that was, that's what we did. You know, I ran up to about 118, 120 miles a week at a couple different points during cross country season, did a lot of long, hard, steady state threshold type efforts. And, uh, um, that was really where we focused, especially during cross country and track. I was a steeplechaser. So obviously we would change tack a little bit, but still came at it from a strength standpoint. You know, I didn't train for the steeplechaser like a mile or train for the steeplechaser like a 10K runner with lots of, lots of threshold Ks, 800 repeats, that kind of thing, mile repeats. So, um, as from a training background, that's, that's all I did throughout college with some speed work, obviously mixed in along the way, but really mostly just a lot of long, lot of, lots of mileage and lots of long workouts. What uh, brought you to the steeplechase? Was that your idea? Was that coach's idea? Why did you try it? Was it just because you're tall? <laughs> I feel like a lot of tall kids get thrown into the steeple, which doesn't really always equate, but yeah. you, you did take to it. So what, what happened there? Yeah, so I remember at the state track championships, my senior year of high school, actually, Coach, uh, coach Russell was there. I remember sitting with him in the stands for a little bit, and that's when he told me, at that point, he had me penciled in for the steeplechase. So okay. before I had ever... Definitely even, coach's decision. Okay. Yes, before I'd ever run a step um, at Lock Haven, I was already penciled in as a steeplechaser. Um, I think I took to it well. One is because I'm tall and I'm fairly coordinated, I'm fairly athletic, so I didn't have too much of an issue getting over the hurdles and getting over the bears. I took to that pretty well. Um, and then I had pretty good speed background, combined with good strength so th those two things physiologically i think played into me being a steeplechaser but the the best steeplechaser at lock haven prior to me coming to school was another kind of tall you know a little bit of a bigger guy as well so i think i just fit right into that mold so yeah. that's probably part of the reason why i ended up yeah. there too but i love the event it was it was fun i had a lot of success with it um i don't think i would go back and run anything else i think this the steeple was i had a good experience there well tell us how good you got what did you finish in division <laughs> two in the steeple uh, my best finish was fourth um my senior year um i was fifth the previous year um and my pr in college was 853 okay um i think my junior year when i ran 853 i was probably in 845 shape um at the at nationals in the first round the prelims i ran 856 in the first prelim kind of out in front of everybody for the most of it just solo um, and then I came back in the final and ran 853. And those are the, both the first two times I broke nine. Okay. I think if I went and did, like ran at a big meet, like a mountain sack or a Stanford where I could just tuck in and, and run at the end of the season, I think it would have ran closer to 845 or so. Yeah. But. but that's the beauty of D2, isn't it? Cause I ran division two as well. And, yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of kids, really a lot of kids, uh, would be better served in division two. Oh, no doubt. I mean, when I talk, especially here in, in Flagstaff, really wherever, I've been in, been involved in the running committee. I'm always telling kids because you get, get that Division One fever, and I had it to a degree as well too, where you want to run for these big name schools and these big name coaches. But um, I know personally, if I would have gone D1, I would have gotten just rolled. Yeah. Um, my freshman year, I was our fifth man. I ran like 15:38 in the 5K, and it was it was there was a long process for me to get accustomed to the training and get into that kind of system. And I knew if I was at a D1 school, I probably would have been out the back and forgotten about it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so for me, D2 was a perfect choice. It allowed me a couple of years to develop and really grow into myself and become a better athlete. I think there are so many men and women, young men and women out there who would benefit from that type of atmosphere. It's yeah. lower stress, you know, the ability to travel and make national championships and go to those type of events is so much higher. The probability is so much higher than like a division one school. So I always, I will always, always be a proponent for Division Two, especially Lock Haven University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> coach Russell is an excellent coach. There's a great a great history of good athletes there. So that's right, that's right. Well, you know, and I I would touch on what you said at the end about the national championship experiences because 
it, it is about experiences. And of course, I'm glad that the high school athlete believes in himself or herself and believes that they can make it at the Division yeah. One level. But, you know, facts are facts. It's a very <laughs> high level. You yeah. know, and if you want to have, um, if, if you want to take in to account what sorts of experiences you're going to have over the course of four or five years, and you can... Um, look at a Division two school who goes, like you said, goes to the National League, finishes in the top 10 every year, top 15 every year. I, I, it's hard because they, they don't know that experience, but yeah. I'm telling you, yeah. it's a better experience to run the National League at the Division two level than sit on the bench at the Division one <laughs> yeah. level. And, and it's such a fine line because, of course, again, the kid wants to believe that they're going to make it. And, yeah. and we're not saying that you get thrown to the back and not cared about at every Division one school. We're not saying that. Yeah. But the very best ones, it's tough. Yeah. It's real tough. And if you're not going to go to the very best ones that go to the national meet every year, in my mind, you might as well go to the Division two <laughs> yeah. school that does go to a national meet every year, and you yeah. do get those experiences. But that's our pitch. We it's, won't win. <laughs> it's also hard to suss out that culture. You're trying to you're going to a D1 school. They're putting on their best face. You don't know exactly what it's going to, what, what it's going to be like either. And that, yeah. that's really any school. Um, but I think D2, if you're in that position, I think you just, it's a, it's a safer play yeah. to have a good experience. But. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's dig into the next big decision in your life. We talked about choosing Lock Haven, uh, but then you finish at Lock Haven. You're an 853 steepler, fourth in division two. Certainly that's good, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily something that you would say, oh, this, this guy is going to keep running. Yeah. Um, he's going to try to make, uh, make something of this. Yeah. So you took that and said, no, I am going to do that. I am going to keep running. And, and on top of that, I'm going to move to Flagstaff, Arizona, sight unseen. <laughs> so how did that come about? Uh, take us through that, you know, finishing up in college and then deciding to go to Flagstaff. So finishing up in college, um, I stayed in Lock Haven to finish my degree for, it was for like a fifth year. I didn't have any eligibility left, but I was still at school. I was, volu I was volunteering coaching. I was living with my coach and um, I was probably trying trying to volunteer coach. I was not, not mature enough yet to really handle that coaching and working with athletes who I had run with and lived yeah. with for four years. Yeah. And so that led to a, a, a little bit of friction. Sorry, Coach Russell. You know, it definitely wasn't a good time in my life either. And I was a little bit personally dissatisfied for where I was. And so I moved home in that December back to Reading, where, where I'm from with my parents. And um, from there was just like eight months of just being completely lost and having no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was working. I was coaching um, a high school track team. I was working at a running store back in Pennsylvania or back in Reading. I was also working at a convenience store. So I was working three different jobs, trying to make, trying to make ends meet, pay my loans, you know, running a little bit, um, not really being competitive. And um, I really credit my coworkers at a running start, the store I worked for when I first getting, when I first got back to PA for kind of getting the ball back rolling for me in my head to get back into it. They put together a team for a 10 miler in Philadelphia called the Broad Street Run every year. Yeah. And so um, recruited me to come be on the team. And so I put in like a mini little buildup for that just to get ready for, yeah. and I was doing workouts and more mileage than I had been previously. And I went to that race and I ran like just under 51 minutes, 50-50. I was like fourth US, I won a little bit of money. And for me, that just clicked it. I was like, oh, I can still do this. I still have the ability to do this. I can do this at a relatively high level. And that's what kind of kicked off the process of trying to, to find a place to train. Okay. Um, and then from that point, I researched a bunch, a bunch of different opportunities. I sent emails to you know every club, yeah. cold called everybody to very little response. <laughs> um, 
And then I, I had an interview and went up to a, a place called New England Distance in okay. Rhode Island. It was that was at the very inception of that of that club. They were just getting started, so I went up there to talk with them about what they had going on. They had a really they, they did and still have a really great thing yeah. going on up in Rhode Island with that. And then a friend of mine, a former teammate at Lockhaven, who's a couple years ahead of me, Ryan Blood. Um, told me he was moving out to Flagstaff. Okay. And so um, we had done a, 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 a long-distance relay with some friends from State College to raise some money um, for a cause, and we started talking and kind of got the ball rolling on wanting to go to Flagstaff. And so I was between going to Rhode Island and going to Flag, and you know, after talking with a lot of close friends and trying to figure out what would be the best bet for me, um, it seemed like I just wanted to take my shot. And yeah. you know, if you're going to be a good runner, Flagstaff was the place to be. So in August of 2012, packed up my hatchback and drove across the country. Yeah. yeah. So so you get out here, and you know, you've never even seen Flagstaff, Correct. but yeah. you're giving it a go. Um, how uh, you know how scary was that? How how uh, how exhilarating was that? Tell us about the kind of the emotions uh, involved for a you know 22, 23 year old kid coming out here with really uh, just nothing more than a dream at that point. I mean, it was it was certainly exhilarating. Everyone talks about wanting to, wanting to just do that, to just to just yeah. go out on a limb and make something happen. My parents would would talk about it and you know talk about how they never did that, and so. Yeah. Um, for me, once I made the decision, you know, you kind of put on your stubborn hat and you get excited about it and you get out here and, you know, every, nothing is ever exactly how you imagine it's going to be and Flagstaff definitely was in that role, but in some ways it was also the complete opposite. It was everything that I ever imagined it could possibly be. And I knew for myself to make it work, it was like, you're just going to have to get out there, pound the pavement, find a job or two if you can, and, um, do your best to make it in the beat. You know, I had, when I left Pennsylvania had fifteen hundred dollars. Five hundred of that was spent for gas and whatever on the trip out. Five hundred I gave to Alicia Shea for my first month's rent, and then I had five hundred dollars to live off of until I got a job. So there was wow. certainly that sense wow. of urgency to uh That's great. to get rolling. And pretty pretty quickly, with the help of some friends and whatever, I got I was able to get a job at a coffee shop and a restaurant. And then where, where were you working at first? Um, Kickstand okay. Cafe okay. was my first job in town. And then I also got a job at a restaurant downtown called Pasto, which is now defunct. Yeah. Um, and I was working. Nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with me. No, I was only. I only worked there for like four, for three or four weeks, and then, um, and then I got the job at Run Flagstaff. Okay. Um, and then once I got that job, I dropped the restaurant. And I worked at the cafe and um, okay. Run Flagstaff, both for about six months, and eventually I was able to just work at the shop for. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Very uh, good. As you think about it now, in retrospect, um, are there any regrets? Are there anything you would have done differently? Or is there anything you would have done? <laughs> no, no regrets. You know, it's 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 one of those things like you could always and hindsight's always twenty twenty. You could always go back and do things differently. I could have been a better money manager. There's other things I could have done to make my transition into Flagstaff a little bit easier than it was. But um, if I hadn't done things the way I'd done them, I probably I might not be here in the same sense that I am right yeah. now. So while at times it was very difficult, you know, you struggle being isolated emotionally and physically out here in Flagstaff away from all your friends and family. And you go through those things and you maybe you make some decisions you wouldn't make again. But at the end of the day, those things that you go through shape the person who you are in the moment now. And yeah. I don't think I would change that stuff because, you know, where I'm at now, I'm, I'm at the ability to run with NAZ Elite. I'm married with a woman who is way, way, way too good for me. <laughs> um, and we have a great life. And so based on that stuff, I don't think I'd change a thing. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it, it's interesting because 
we've noticed with the team, or I've noticed, um, that if you look at the, the roster now, most of the athletes are kind of from the West-ish. Yeah. You know, Oregon or California or Utah, uh, Colorado. Um, and, and some of the folks we've had in the past from the East Coast, um, and I don't think it was that much to do with us, really, just they love the East Coast. You know, yeah. They end up finding their way back there. Yeah. Um, but not you. So what is it about Flagstaff that has kept you here besides your lovely wife, who's <laughs> from Arizona? Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, did you ever have, and I don't mean to dig into deep, dark moments, but did you ever have some moments where you thought about going back, some low points? 100%, yeah, especially in that first, you know, six to eight months of being in town, especially before I met Sarah. Yeah. I met Sarah after being in town for about eight or nine months. Um, so in that, that, like, first winter in Flagstaff, when running wasn't going well at all, and things had dissolved with my coach that I had been working with, and I was, you know, working a couple part-time jobs flat broke yeah um there was a period of time that i was just sleeping on an air mattress i didn't, I didn't have a bed or anything like that so there, there were there were some very low moments for sure especially in that initial period of time where um going back home would have been the easy way out yeah but then it's just like i decided to get stubborn i'm like i came out here for a reason i'm not going back to pennsylvania with my tail tucked between my legs and no one at home would blame me for it you know i, I have a great i have great parents they would they would have been more than gracious about the whole thing my extended family all my friends no one would have blamed me a cent but i wouldn't be able to live with myself if i had done that so um, you just kind of dig in and, and, and get tough and yeah. in terms of in the future, you know, I love the East coast and every time I go back, I'm always like, man, there's, there's something about it. There's more, there's a different energy to it. Um, the people are, the people are so much different. Um, but I don't foresee us probably ever moving back East unless there were some other circumstances, jobs or anything like that in the future. So. Sure. Sure. Well, okay. If I'm going to ask you about a couple of low points, how about, how about give me a moment when things started to turn the corner, um, and you had a couple of highlights and things that uh, like, okay, now this this is rolling. This is making sense. This is feeling really good. Yeah. I mean, that's so that spring. It was spring 2013 when I decided, I decided it was out of nowhere because I, was, I wasn't having a good time with where I was at running wise. Like, I'm just going to train for the mile. I love the mile. It's fun. Um, I feel like I was undeveloped, underdeveloped there anyway. So I just started doing a lot of speed work um, and just trying to race there. I had met at this point, I had met Sarah. So I had a yeah. little bit of stability on that side of things. Socially was, was a little bit better. And you know, I started knocking chunks off my PRs. Um, I ended up running like 346, which was like an eight-second PR from college, and then 406 in the mile, which was a two-second PR from college. And that was kind of cool. I was like, okay, I've made some progress. Yeah, like I'm, yeah, I'm, tangible. Yeah, yeah, I feel better about things now. I go to these races, I'm not getting my doors blown off. And then I was like, well, I just want to, you know, the fall, I didn't know if I was going to come back and run the mile again the next spring. Yeah. You know, I feel like I maybe had, I could go a little farther with that, but I kind of wanted to do a half that fall and just see how it went. And then I started working with, um, on the recommendation of a friend, Nick Arsidiaga, working with Trina Painter. I had talked with Trina yeah. Painter about being coached. Um, for people to know, she's the coach at Flag High here, Flag Flagstaff High School, also a former pro, U.S. record holder at 20K, yep. ran for McMillan. Twice very time. close to making the Olympic team. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I started working with her and having that extra structure went a long way. We started doing some longer workouts and I went to the uh, AFC half marathon in San Diego yeah. and I was like, you know, if I break 66, that would be great. Um, if I can get close to sub 65, that would be great for the 2016 cycle. Sub 65 was the Olympic trials qualifier and just kind of went out, went after it. That course is very fast in the early miles. So you can really bank some time and I banked a lot of time and I'd realized that crap, if I don't blow up in a million pieces, I'm going to hit that OTQ and you know, I get through, I ran 6441 and yeah. There's just a complete feeling of validation. Yeah. So at that point, there was nothing else that was remotely close in terms of high points to that. I was like, holy crap, Like one of my goals was to get to the trials and I've already 
done that. So now I'm going to be going regardless. So yeah. that was probably the highest point initially early on for yeah. sure. Nah, that's cool. That's cool. Talk about working at Run Flagstaff because you made a point to, to mention that that was a, a turning point, at least financially, mm -hmm. where you could get rid of your second job and just work at the store. Um, and you know, you, you've continued to work there minus a stint in Tucson and <laughs> yeah. you're the manager now and it's a great store and a great owner with Vince Sherry and Sarah Sherry, his wife. Uh, just, just tell me a little bit about Run Flagstaff and the community there and what that's been like. Yeah. So in terms of just not just the turnaround financially with the shop, I mean, that's just adding a, a second family, adding a family yeah. out west that I, that I didn't have otherwise. And I count Vince and Sarah Sherry as two of my closest, if not closest friends in town. Um, yeah practically family at this point. So so that also just gave me more people at my back, kinda who had who kinda had my back a little bit more than would have otherwise. But um I mean run Flagstaff and like you just said, Vince is an incredible owner. Yeah. Um incredible. he's not just looking out for himself and his business, but he has an eye for the whole community. Yeah. And he's always thinking and doing these events and working with other programs in the community. He has an eye to to try and build the community in Flagstaff even more. So um, being able to to work under him for you know six years at this point yeah. has been incredible. I feel like I'm learning, and I think I am learning from one of the best guys in the industry. Yeah. Not just not just in terms of being a great guy, but in terms of footwear knowledge and yeah. how how to get people into shoes and things like that. I, I would hazard a guess that there's maybe nobody or just a handful of people who are better than him, at least in my experiences of who I've met in the industry thus far. So um, professionally, it's just a fantastic place to work. Um, they've always been incredible with, with my scheduling and racing and things like that. And um, I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to be, to work at a place, to work at the running store in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's, yeah. it's kind of cool. You it's know? very cool. It's kind of yeah. cool. Well, I, you know, I was jotting things down before this for Eric, um, and one of the things that I kind of made a note of is, you know, circling back to the blue collar aspect is, I think you have so much in common with so many of our young fans that are sort of in that mm -hmm. collegiate or just out of college, um, uh, you know, uh, situation, and so many of them work at running stores. And yeah. I think, I mean, you know, you, I want you to speak to it, but I always felt like when I owned a running store, one thing I used to always remind uh, the employees was that, look, if you're working at a running store because you love running and then it, it allows you to also run and stay involved in something you're very passionate about, don't let people tell you that's not a job. Yeah, you know, or, or not a profession. Yeah, you know that yeah. used to make me really angry when I'd hear, you know, so and so say that. Oh yeah, my parents, you know, want me to do this or want me. To, what what what's the problem? Yeah. you know, like you're you're working uh, in your case for a wonderful person. Yeah, uh, you love what you're doing. You're making money. You're helping people on a daily basis. Yeah. It's a wonderful profession. Yeah. So um, yeah, I don't know. Just make a pitch for for working at a running store. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about something that drives people in the industry nuts or people like Vince or myself is when people say that working at a running shop is not a real job. Oh, it's terrible. Um, I it? mean, you can't, oh God, it's just, it just drives you nuts because yeah. it's, you can't even remotely equate it to anything along the lines of working. I mean, I worked at a gas station. I've worked in other places like that. I mean, there's such a, or other retail, there's such a broad difference between what it takes to work at a running store totally. versus what it takes to work in other types of retail, not to discredit those jobs yeah. either. Yeah. Just a different level of expertise that's required. Oh yeah. Um, and very specific knowledge. Um, I just not just lost with the with the point. Well, no, so. I was I was just I was just saying <laughs> yeah. basically make a pitch to, yeah. to people or, or, or remind. I mean, you're doing it. You're saying yeah. exactly what 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 I think as well, which is just that uh, it's a heck of a profession. It is, and for the young athlete who's trying to make it, I would I would stress that you know 
in some ways people will say there's only one way to do this, one way to be a professional or a competitive runner. Yeah. And I was just said that's absolutely not the point. Yeah. Um, you know, when when people talk about you know, people make a big deal sometimes about these runners who are blue collar or who work full time jobs. And I've made this point before as well too, but if you were to, to go down the list of the Olympic trials qualifiers, you're probably about ninety five percent of them are people who work at least part time, if not mm-hmm. full time as well too. So you know, I came to Flagstaff with this thought in mind that I would eventually become sponsored and all I would have to do is run. But now it's like, you know, I like the idea of having that something else going on and working in the community and, and playing a role in other people's lives and, you know, having that on the side of your running. I think you can do both really well. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, I agree. And of course, you know, on our team, obviously we have some people that are very high level and they're, they're making a living off of running. But even those folks, yeah. I'm saying, hey, have something going on in your life besides running yes you know get a little bit of a a, a side business going or take on a little bit of a part-time job um, yeah. and many of them are doing that yeah and it's really I, I find that they're the most balanced athletes on the team yeah you know um, and so having you uh, someone who works full-time and really busts his butt and has to and has no choice it's great you mm-hmm. know it's great um, so let's talk about that this is this would have been less awkward if Eric was asking this question <laughs> But <laughs> how did the opportunity to run for Hoka NAZ Elite come about? So so, so the story is, is actually kind of interesting. I don't know if you know the full story or not to a degree, which is awkward as well, too, because I'm talking let's, to you about this. Let's do it. Let's so, do it. Um, leading into New York and after kind of the struggles I had with that buildup in terms of getting, getting sick and just things not going well and having been self-coached for a number of years before joining, before joining the team, I actually started reaching out to people. So I met with Ryan Hall. Um, and others to talk about coaching and, and seeing where this next thing was going. I was right on the cusp of making a decision when Vince called me just out of the blue. He's like, hey, did you uh, commit to any coaches yet? And I was like, no. He's like, don't. You know, Ben wants to talk to you. And to be honest, it's something I never even considered as a, as a possibility. You know, even even just approaching you to as a coach outside of running for NAZ Elite, just as you had your own thing going on. Last thing you needed was just some, <laughs> was some guy coming in there. So... To, to hear that and then to, to sit down and talk with you about about joining the team and, and how how it would work was was pretty incredible I mean I just never expected it to happen and, and I, I say it constantly and I will continue to say it uh, how grateful I am to have the opportunity to, to be able to do this because something I never expected would happen so that's cool that's cool okay well I'll tell you my side of it <laughs> so um, you know we had had and I've told you some of this but we, you know we had uh, a roster that I was very happy with. Yeah. Uh, but you know, things happen and that's just the way of it, yeah. you know? And when, um, when we lost a couple of athletes for a variety of reasons, it was just a situation where we had to, uh, add a couple of male athletes for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, it was starting to be clear that we were going to have to do sort of what we did in the summer with the ladies where we added four. And, um, the reason you were one of the first person, people to come to mind was because I felt like from a chemistry standpoint, you were going to be perfect because you were going to be a guy, and you've mentioned this throughout this podcast already, that was going to be super grateful, super humble, ready to work, blue collar, mm-hmm. chip away, that kind of thing. And then I also felt like from a physical standpoint, you're in basically the prime of your life. You're 29 yeah. years old. You, you're all eyes on the Olympic marathon trials, which we've got a lot of other guys in that same boat. So I thought you were going to fit in well that way. And uh, and I really just admired you and what you'd done at Run Flag stuff. So uh, yeah, you were the first person I came to out of the out of the four people we ended up getting. The, fun, the other funny thing was I had... Um, 
told Jen and I had called Vince and I had kind of been talking to a couple people about approaching you, and that very day, I think, that we met, that article had come out in Le a month's oh, run yeah, about yeah. You, you know, Nick Hilton, Blue Collar God, <laughs> the whole thing, and I thought, oh my gosh, I hope he doesn't think that this is why I emailed him, because I read this article, this was already in the works, but uh, anyway, that was a nice article, and, and everything's going great, so I'm very, very happy. Um, so, what are you most looking forward to about uh, training with the group? Just to let everybody know, it's been a not, not a strange transition, but the thing the thing that happened was Nick was already committed to the Walt Disney World Marathon uh, in January when we when we met basically yeah. and, and talked, and so he really hasn't been on the same schedule as everybody else because he came off New York, made a quick turnaround, and ran Walt Disney. Um, so you've only really been able to run some easy runs with the group, not not workouts. But now that you're done with Walt Disney, where you finished second place. Uh, what are you looking forward to as you begin to come back and, and you'll get uh, you know um, slotted in with the team here? No, I'm just I'm just excited to to get into energy. You know, working out with a group of guys who kind of all have the same single-minded purpose is always exciting. Everyone's out there, they're focused, they want to get the things done, and that that kind of mindset just elevates everybody on the team. So I'm just excited to slot myself in there and and push myself more than I have been pushed myself in a while and, and um, get back to where I've been in the past and beyond that. So get faster um, with these guys. Plus, they're all great guys. Like, I like running with all of them, both the Scots, uh, Sid, Kia, really everybody on the team. I, I enjoy just being around. They're fun guys to be around. So just getting back to that, you know, team atmosphere yeah. again is, is exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Totally. Um, what have you learned so far, if anything? Obviously, you and I worked together uh, through the Disney second segment, but only, it was only about eight weeks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anything you uh, gleaned so far? In terms of just... Just how we do things and how it might fit you. I mean, I was just blown, been blown away just at the amount of support that you, how much, how supported you feel as an athlete, you know, whether it's going to Camp, Camp Verde once a, once a week, um, showing up to all the easy runs, you know, I just haven't been in that type of atmosphere for a while. So it was just like, wow, holy crap, this is, this is cool. Like someone in my corner, biking with me when it's 20 degrees outside <laughs> of Camp, Camp yeah. Verde and, yeah. you know, freezing his, freezing his butt off doing that stuff. So just that level of support has been, you know, has been awesome and that, that's you know the fact that you're going to feel that all the way through to the trials is going to is, is exciting and it's uh it just makes the process more fun cool so. what uh let everybody know what your 2019 is going to look like we just met so we kind of have we kind of have an idea <laughs> yeah i don't think there's anything we really have to keep secret so have, yeah have at it yeah so so i think um we're going to start off in april april 7th at the carlsbad 5000 which which will be interesting um <laughs> Now being a natural 5K guy, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to blowing the tubes out on that one, especially on such an iconic course and such an iconic race. It's gonna be gonna be neat. And then um, run a 10K at the Mount Sac Relays. So hopefully you know knock out a good PR there and just be competitive, be the front of that race and mm -hmm. and see how that goes. Just learn to compete in that atmosphere again. Um, after that will be 20 US 25K championship. Sorry. Um, and that's that's one I'm probably the one I'm circling on my calendar right now is one I'm most excited for. I think distance-wise, that's like right in my sweet spot in terms of uh, in terms of my physiological capabilities, and I yeah. think I can be really competitive there. Um, personally, I'm hoping to finish in the top five or six. You know, yeah. I really want to knock out a good a good effort there and and, uh, and um, finish that one with a bang. And then the San Diego Rock and Roll San Diego Half Marathon in June will be the kind of the one that rounds out the season. Yep. Um, and just excited to be in the type of fitness again where I can think about going after my PR and be really competitive with uh, with the guys in that field too. So, yeah, we're excited about that schedule. You know, since it's me, I'll, I'll just I'll just I'll just <laughs> say this that uh, 
you know, one of the things Nick will be able to work on um, over the course of that segment is everything, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, he'll get to touch yeah. touch on all the zones throughout the segment. We'll emphasize um, strength, probably actually inverted of what most people do. We'll mm -hmm. probably touch on a little bit speedier stuff early um, and, and, and lean a little bit more to strength later uh, because he'll be doing Carlsbad and Mount Sac in the first part of the segment and then the 25K and the half marathon in the second part of the segment. So we'll kind of invert the typical pyramid, uh, if you will. Uh, of course, to be honest, that's how we pretty much always do it anyway, is touching all the zones all the time. So it's not really that different. Uh, but he will be able to be... Uh, on the same schedule as a couple of the other guys, mm -hmm. which I'm also excited about because I think as Nick mentioned I mean, that's the whole point of the group, right? Is you're trying to get people that are physiologically similar so you can have that classic like five guys in a line doing repeats <laughs> like that's what we, that's what yeah. we did yesterday down yeah. at Camp Verde. It was great. So, um, yeah, that's what 2019 looks like. And then I'll find, I'll finally just ask, uh, and you touched on it one second ago, uh, just the 2020 marathon trials. I mean, we don't want to put the race on a pedestal. We don't want to talk about it every day yeah. <laughs> from now until then. We just want to go there and do what we do and take care of business. Um, but when you envision it, uh, what do you think about? Man, I think about a lot of things. It just pops into your head. You know, if I'm doing an easy run solo by myself, it's it just, especially if I'm listening to another running podcast, <laughs> like that, it just it just comes up and you start kind of thinking about the race. And um, last time around in 2016, I put so much pressure on myself that I really, it blew my build up and it blew the race itself, just having too much expectation. So one thing I'm just going to do is just not lay that expectation on myself. Just mm -hmm. um, I've grown a ton as a person, as an athlete, to the point where I think I can go into this race and be a lot more relaxed. With that said, you know, the, the field is already dense. There's been, 20, what, 24 guys between 212 and 214. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just going to be an enormous pack out there for a very long period of time. I hope to just be, you know ticking off the back of that pack and running comfortably within myself for the first, you know, 13, 14, 18-ish miles. And then, you know, come into my own that last 10K to 12K and hopefully really, um, really bring it in hard and, and finish well. So very good. Very good. Well, that sounds like a good plan to me. Um, <laughs> this was Nick Hilton, everybody. I, I think that was super cool. Um, I think Nick's story is so similar uh, to that of so many of you that, that listen and follow us. And so uh, start following Nick. I think he can be a great inspiration for you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much, Ben. Appreciate right, it. Cool. Yeah.